When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. It's partly because that's why the run was effective, because they weren't challenging the run a lot of times. You know, the, the outside guys weren't rushing, so or they weren't squeezing down in the runs, and so a lot of cutback lanes were there. We'll take the runs all day if they're going to they're play pass. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer. Matthew Collar here. Sage Rosenfels. It is a beautiful purple daily as we transition in through the middle of the week on to the next opponent to the Oakland Raiders. And we look at what's happened through two weeks and try to figure out if the ship is actually sinking with the Vikings or if it's just week two. How are you, Sage? I'm great. I literally just got home. Got off an airplane at 117. Drove 30 minutes to my house uh, and ready to go here. Just drove back from Denver, Colorado. And uh, out there the last couple of days since going to that Iowa-Iowa State game on Saturday in Ames. And uh, I, will, I will say this. Listen to Brandon Stokely. He's got a radio show out there. Uh, you got Mark Schlereth has a radio show out there. Their old center, Tom Nalen, has a radio show. And it is like the sky is falling in, in Denver, <laughs> Colorado. So when you say that the sink is shipping here. It's interesting how every NFL franchise that's not two and zero just wants to freak out a little bit. Well, so I, I think the Vikings are going to be okay. You know, they're they're one and one. The the, the Broncos are zero and two, and they've lost both games. I think by a field goal or something like that. It's you know, it's like the difference between winning and losing the NFL is so small. But yet, you know, again, if the Vikings would play, just made a couple plays the other day, they'd be 2-0, and and it definitely would not be sinking. We think everything's going in the right direction. Well, and both of those teams, what's in common is that they were victimized by horrendous penalties uh, the other day. Denver on the last drive, uh, uh, roughing the passer, sets up the Chicago Bears at the game-winning field goal. The Vikings dealt with the same thing today. Stephon Diggs out at TCO Performance Center said that he called his old wide receivers coaches and talked to his wide receivers coach trying to figure out exactly 
why the heck uh, that was a penalty on Delvin Cook. And uh, still nobody has a really good explanation for that. But uh, Sage, where I want... I, I, I always thought that so the, I always thought it was that sort of Pandora's box that they were opening up when they talked about reviewing pass interference. And, of course, everyone goes to, in their mind, the obvious, you know, uh, on a 50-50 ball. Uh, you know, a, a jump ball or, you know, some play was that pass interference. You'd like to get that call right. But people don't realize how much offensive pass interference there is, uh, how, how much uh, you know slight pass interference that you don't even really think, or even you know the, that that you don't really even think of pass interference, but definitely is. Uh, and then when it's pass interference on both guys that are constantly you know sort of fighting back and forth, and and uh, it's I, I just think it's a it's going to create all sorts of problems because again, just sort of like what we saw, there's going to be pass interference on balls that aren't even thrown to that receiver. You know, like an offense receiver on the left side pushes off the from the corner on a comeback route and the and the quarterback throws it to the right, they can call pass interference on, on that on that side too. I mean, who knows where this where this uh, rule is going to go. Yeah, and uh, some extreme frustration and totally reasonable for the Vikings and I watched it back a couple of times and I still can't exactly figure it out when you have the defensive player heading in that direction, and he puts his hands on Delvin Cook, and Delvin Cook puts his hands on him. And I think Stephon Diggs made the best argument where he said, I've seen Delvin Cook block people. That was not blocking someone downfield. And uh, now taking pick plays out of the red zone is uh, a real game changer, I think, because if you're going to go back and look at every pick play, I could think of, I don't know, how many touchdowns that I've seen where there was a pretty obvious pick play, but... Um, you just usually can't litigate all of those, and now they're going to be able to, and, well, and, I, that's, and that's quite know, a game changer. The, the Dallas Cowboys just had one this weekend. They threw a looks like about a three or four yard out route to Jason Witten, and the other tight end. They had two tight ends on both sides, both split out wide. And the other tight end, just sort of, who was on the outside, and Jason Witten was on the inside. The outside uh, receiver tight end sort of took an inside angle. Uh, before they pushed vertically, which just caused a slight, you know, you don't want to call it a pick, but it was a slight rub, you know, and it's not a direct, you know, he ran right into him, but if you just slow down enough and that guy just has to, uh, you know, work past your legs and your and your whatever, um, it, it can make a huge difference in particular, you know, inside the five-yard line. So, yeah, all these little rub plays, these little, you know, pick plays, uh, I've seen a ton of them, and that, one on Dalvin Cook the other day was about as ticky tack as, as I uh, you know could see, and of course totally took a ton of momen- momentum away from the Vikings. Yeah. Um, now they did have an opportunity to still score on that drive, and they did not, uh, in part because of the pass protection. Um, but we could talk about that a little bit later. There's a couple things I want to get into you, uh, get into with you, including this Vikings offensive passing game and how the Packers approach them, Sage. Because I went through the tape, and Mike Zimmer was asked about this today with some of the play-action stuff, and one of the key subjects that we broke down a million times in the offseason was, well, you know, they're going to be able to run all these play-actions off of their run game. And so far, through two games, and I know that's a very small sample size, the Vikings play-action has been extremely ineffective. So far, Kirk Cousins is just 7 for 14 and averages 4.5 yards per throw on play-action. And Mike Zimmer said that he noticed that the Packers were essentially playing the pass and letting them have some of the run stuff. And I noticed that as well on one particular play where Preston Smith just came straight up field as opposed to um, following the tackle down the line and, and trying to secure the cutback lane. Instead, it seemed like they either knew 
knew that the pass was coming, the play-action pass, or they were preparing mostly for that. And I think that's going to be an interesting twist, don't you? If teams start saying, you know what, it's 2019, and if you guys think you're going to beat us by handing off over and over and over again, go ahead and try it. I think the Vikings would love to never have to throw a pass. That's how they won their first game of the year, basically, by throwing 10 passes. So, yeah, what I noticed in that game the other day is, you know, all the every time Kirk Cousins tried to bootleg out of the pocket in particular, there was nothing there. He had to sort of flip his hips and yep. throw the ball away, or, you know, one time he spun out of it and ended up throwing the ball away, but, you know, it scared everybody, of course. He seems to do that once or twice a game. Uh, but there, he was not getting out of the pocket to where he could, you know, push the edge and look downfield because they probably had, you know, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs on some sort of double move. And that's when you can really make big plays, but you got to get out of the pocket first. And, uh, if they're going to be upfield like that, uh, the defensive ends, whether it's a fullback coming across or a tight end coming across, or sometimes they call it true naked, which nobody's there. That's where those cutback lanes are. And we saw a couple of those uh, with, with Alvin Cook in the football game. I think with, with one with Madison as well is, is some decent cutback lanes there because that is that defensive ends gap. So it's sort of a little cat and mouse game there. And, and against the Packers, they chose to you know keep the keep uh, Kirk Cousins more sort of in the pocket, not let him get out there for, for the bigger plays down the field and, uh, and sort of give up some of those runs. And, and the Vikings took advantage of some of those in the ballgame. Well, I think that if opposing defense defenses are going to say beat us from a week-to-week basis with the run and we're going to shut down these play action plays then the Vikings offense could be in a lot of trouble because this is where Kirk Cousins has been at his absolute best through his career last year he had 116.1 quarterback rating when running play action but of course you know teams were not just putting their sole focus on shutting down Kirk Cousins' play action. So if they start to do that, I mean, it just does not work to only run the football to win if, if that's the only thing you're going to be able to do efficiently. I mean, think about Delvin Cook is averaging 6.5 yards a carry through two games. That is not going to continue unless he's literally the greatest running back in the history of the game. And I did a little poking around here statistically, Sage, and found that if you have the best running game in the NFL, it's equivalent to the number of points that the 18th best passing game will produce. So basically, I mean, you better be unbelievable at the run to try to carry your offense with the run and still be somewhat efficient passing if you want to have a very good offense. And I mean, through two weeks, this hasn't really worked very well. And I wonder if the Packers laid down some blueprint for how to stop this Vikings passing game. Well, I've always thought running yards are sort of more valuable than passing yards, right? A quarterback throws for 350 or for 300 yards is like a equivalent to a running back maybe running for a buck 25 to a buck 50 or something like that, right? So, you know, the 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 running yards are more valuable, but uh, they don't score maybe always more points, but they also you know keep the ball away from your defense. Uh, they limit the number of interceptions and, and sacks and sack fumbles and you know third and seventeen to where you have to you, you know you're just going to throw a screen and then punt it you know from out of your own end zone so it you know positive rushing yards are really valuable but at the end of the day a lot of times scoring points actual points is throwing the football and, and again. You know, I think this is the word I want to use this year as, as we dissect every one of these games as they go forward. You know, was or, or was he not, uh, we're talking about Kirk Cousins here, was he or was he not clutch 
in the, in those moments, right in the in the red zone inside the five, did he find a way to get it done? And, and the great quarterbacks do find a way uh, to score touchdowns in the red zone. Now it may have been a lot of rushes to get up there, but the best quarterbacks end up you know uh, throwing the football in the end zone for touchdowns. Well, I, I most certainly agree with you that it's the big situations that are going to define his season. Um, but if the offensive line is no better than it was last year, which from uh, what I've seen so far, it's not. And but the it, running game is much. I think the running game is much well, better. Well, sure it is. The, but the if you can't protect, might be worse. if you can't, right, it might be worse. And that's a huge problem. I mean, if you can't protect this guy, it's not like he's going to run around and make plays. Um, when he tried to run the other day, he fumbled. And it's, it's not like he's going to Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson this thing where those two teams don't have good pass protection either, yeah, but their quarterbacks bit, are good enough to, to make up for it. That's not that's the situation right. here. And it's then, not a great combination, as, as you're saying, of basically an immobile quarterback and an offensive line that's not good in pass protection. That is, that is a bad combination for uh, for trying to win football games. Well, and that's why I think that if opposing teams find a way to shut down the play action, because this you laid this out really, really well in the offseason about how the offensive lines can be helped by using play action. You get the moving, the outside zone stuff, and, and you find space for the quarterback to throw the ball. But if defensive ends are just going to come up field and they're going to dare you to beat them on the ground, then that puts the Vikings passing game in a really tricky situation, I think, because if you can't set up Kirk Cousins for lots of space for him to set and throw the ball where he's absolutely terrific in doing that, and you can't uh, just have him drop straight back because you're the middle of your offensive line is getting blown up. I mean, what are they supposed to do in order to get Kirk Cousins to have an effective season when they need him the most, when it is third down or when it is a big situation, they need a big drive. I mean, you're not, you're very rarely, when you need a game-winning drive, going to be able to run seven times for 47 yards like they did to set themselves up the other day. And I, I feel like this is going to be the biggest early challenge here for Stefanski and Kubiak to figure out how they're going to change these play actions because it seems like opponents, both Atlanta and on a couple plays and Green Bay, have these figured out. Well, let's be clear on the play action aspect of it. I, I guess so there's two types of things. When you, when you fake a handoff, well, there's really three, I would say. Uh, when you have some sort of fake handoff, you know, from under center where you, you turn, uh, you'll fake a handoff to a running back, whether there's a fullback in the game or whatever, it doesn't really matter. When you have that type of play action and you stay in the pocket, I consider that play action. Mm-hmm. That's a play action pass. All right. When you, uh, after faking the running back, are more booting out of the pocket, I call that more of a bootleg, right? So they're yeah, both, I right. think, considered sort of play action within the world of NFL statistics because at the end of the day, it's a play fake. And then that, what I would say the third kind is when you fake to the running back, a lot of times on a draw fake, but the tight end is not staying in, staying in and blocking, and he is also getting out. So you really would have an irregular personnel, three people out on routes, uh, and then your running backs are more of the blockers, right? But the fake is not as good, right? There's not as much of a sell because you don't have that tight end in and all the action that goes with it. So I think the, what the Vikings learned in that game the other day was that bootlegs are not, at least right now, they are not should be they are not on the uh, high priority list. Mm-hmm. They did not have luck in them the other day. They didn't have much luck uh, the first game of the year. And I'm I'm fairly sure that Stefanski and Kubiak will come to the conclusion that Kirk is not going to be a bootleg quarterback. And some are. You know, I, I think in Chicago, they should be running bootlegs like crazy with Trubisky. He is so fast. He gets out of the pocket, gets away. 
from uh, from the line, uh, you know, gives him better, you know, I guess protection or whatever. He, he's not a really a pocket passing quarterback. He's not accurate like that. Uh, but Kirk is a pocket guy. So my guess is we're going to see fewer and fewer of those bootlegs uh, and more of the play action stuff where he does fake to the running back, but he stays inside that pocket and uh, and tries to get those linebackers to to suck up, and so he can hit some of that stuff. You know, right behind them when they've you know tried to suck up when they've tried to come up uh, to protect their gaps defensively. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to require some sort of uh, adaptation there. And I know that Cousins isn't exactly um, always happy out of the shotgun, but when you have your offensive line getting blown up the way that they were, I, I feel like you have to make those those changes. Maybe you do have to use some of the things that Filippo worked with last year with quick screens to receivers and working out of the shotgun to just give him a little bit more time. I, I mean, those were the, the reasons that he did those things, and, and we didn't like a lot of the stuff that Filippo did, but I understood it considering that the interior of the O-line was getting blown up, and uh, after seeing what the first two teams did that they played against, I have very little confidence that the middle of this offensive line can protect Kirk Cousins on a consistent basis. I think another hard part with Kirk is that it seems like when he does drop back or or is in shotgun, does it feel like to you that he's a bit too methodical? That makes sense. I don't want to say the word slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he seems he's like sort of slow, right? He's not a you know guy with super quick feet. He's sort of a Joe Flacco, sure. Yeah, you know, file, right with his with his footwork. And you know whether it was Rodgers the other day or a lot of these quarterbacks, you see people that are moving faster. Uh, and so when they hitch, it's not as, you know, as I said, sort of slow and methodical and hitch one, hitch two, hitch three. It's sort of boom, 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 boom. And I, I think that's just the athlete that Kirk is. I don't think he's a fast twitch athlete. Uh, I don't, you know, that, that slant throw that Rodgers made the other day that some people had on, I put it out on Twitter. I mean, it's a it's sort of crazy sometimes to see what a quarterback's actually you know, throwing to and, and what he's seeing. Mm-hmm. And of course, Rodgers in that, in that video I thought was, was totally impressive because his body was all messed up. But he's got such a quick twitch and a quick release and the ability to throw the ball sort of at every type of angle uh, and still be accurate. Kirk can't do that. He is sort of throws from his same spot every single time. Uh, again, he's, he doesn't move around the pocket all that much. Uh, he is much more limited with his athletic ability, uh, and that's, again, harder and harder on this offensive line. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, Sage. I want to go with you through the defense and how they've played. Some good things that Mike Zimmer had to say about Everson Griffin this year and what he's seen from him. Also, um, I've gone all in on it, and so has Judd Zolgad. The Jalen Ramsey trade idea. I laid out the case at scorenorth.com if you want to see that. Um, go there, scorenorth.com, and see what I wrote. I, I think we've got a pretty good case for it. So we're going to discuss when we come back. And as always, Journeyman Quarterback of the Week will be happening as well. And uh, I think I've got a gem here. So let's take a break. We'll come back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. 
That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Well, I think part of it is each individual, and you're looking at these guys all as um, kind of what you see with your own eyes through training camp and OTAs and, you know, where, the, where they're at there. You know, we've always thought about spelling not just him but all of our guys a little bit more. But when the game's on the line, they're going to be out there um, because that's, that's what they do. But pertaining to him specifically, you know, Everson, his game starts with violence. So that he's not going to lose that probably ever. So, you know, for him to be able to be violent, accelerating off the line of scrimmage, violent, uh, attacking the offensive tackle, and then working his combination moves off of that. Quite honestly, a lot of these guys get better with age because they perfect their techniques more and more and more. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer talking about Everson Griffin and what he has seen from him so far this year. And Sage Rosenfels with me here on Purple Daily here on Score North. Uh, reminder, if you have missed any of the show and our conversation in the first uh, segment or any of the shows that we've done so far, uh, I've gotten very high reviews of Alex Boone from Twitter, which usually Twitter dislikes everything, but it seems to like Boone. Um, so <laughs> feel free to go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, download it, give it a rating so other people can find it as well. Or if you're an old school PC fan, uh, just go to scorenorth.com. You can stream us there. You can listen to all the old shows. So Sage, I think that Everson Griffin had the best game I have seen from him. And I don't know how long uh, he was unbelievable on Sunday. He was demolishing David Bakhtieri. I know he was slowed a little bit, but the get off the line of scrimmage was incredible. The violence that Zimmer talked about with him. I mean, if if Griffin's going to play like this all season, this Vikings defensive line is going to be incredibly good. Well, I remember when I first uh, met Everson Griffin when he came in after he was drafted, and you know, I was sort of surprised. You know, here's a USC guy, and but he wasn't. You know, he didn't have like a Daniil Hunter body, right? I mean, of course, very few people do, but. He was not a long-armed, you know, long Jared Allen, you know, type of guy, and and he was he's a little bit more uh, compact, uh, but he's extremely powerful, you know, very very strong, you know, legs and and the ability to be powerful is uh, is very very important for defensive linemen, and so uh, he is quick, he's fast, and he's powerful. He doesn't have those again that that leverage game that he gets to use with the long arms that that Daniel gets to use. So there's sort of different types of defensive ends. He is two for two. He has played really well. I think mm-hmm. both ball games, and I agree. I think this last game, uh, one of the better games I, we, I've seen him play in a while. He wasn't, uh, I, I guess, uh, there as much. I, I didn't see him as much last year. Uh, you know, during last season, uh, whether he's around the football or making things happen or the same type of energy. Uh, Two for two this year as far as the way he's played. He's doing a very, very nice job. And he was a guy that I was thinking, hey, if he doesn't have a good good year this year, this might be his last year as a Minnesota Viking. But, uh, you know, so far he's very, very valuable to this defense. Yeah, no, for sure. And that was one of the biggest questions coming in was if he doesn't bounce back, then what are they going to do with that position? Because um, Daniil Hunter, as great as he is, benefits from the fact that a lot of attention goes toward Everson Griffin. And I thought it impacted Daniil Hunter 
down the stretch when Everson Griffin was gone last year. He was still good, but not quite as dominant. And with Griffin back, that allows them both to kind of meet at the quarterback a lot of times. And without another interior rusher like Tom Johnson or Sheldon Richardson, I think it becomes even more valuable. And through two games, these guys have a total of 30 pressures between them, which is outrageous. Hunter led the league in week one and Everson Griffin in week two. So if they're going to do that from a week-to-week basis, this defense uh, will continue to be very, very good. Um, You want to hear a crazy stat? Again, just coming back from Denver today, crazy stat, because they're complaining over there because their defense has zero sacks and zero turnovers this year. All right? This is Vic Fangio coming from Chicago. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about him. This is a defense that's been good since they're in the Super Bowl, still Von Miller. They've got a whole bunch of guys in the secondary. Supposedly they have three guys in the secondary who are ranked in, like, the top 30 players in the league as far as secondary players. So they've got a very good secondary they have only two quarterback pressures. Wow. Two. And Griffin and Hunter pressures. have like the Miami Dolphins have five, you know, like no everyone else wow. has way way more uh, than they have. They have two. I mean, so so people are a little bit irate over there. Just could not believe that obviously the Vikings don't have that problem. We got two defensive ends and Linville Joseph. Uh, who, who are getting plenty of pressure when they try to rush the quarterback. Okay, but I, I have to ask you, though, because I wrote it for scorenorth.com, and Judd Zolged was uh, on board with this earlier today on the station. If you are interested, Sage, in a trade for Jalen Ramsey. Not a fan. Really? No, not a fan. I just... Um, I, I, I don't know. I have a very, maybe it's as I get older, it's like I'm becoming my father, but I just have a very, uh, short, uh, uh, fuse or whatever it is for people who are just a pain in the neck to deal with. Like Odell Beckham Jr. I know he's super talented, but he, it just seems like he's going to be a handful to deal with. And I know sometimes, you know, the, the more talented you are, the more teams will uh, put up with and all those types of things. But, um, you know, what happens if he, he comes to Minnesota and for some reason he's not happy with Mike Zimmer's style of defense? Now we got to deal with this whole situation because he probably just got, gave him a huge contract. Uh, we just gave up some a first-round draft pick for him. And now what are we going to do? And you end up being the Oakland Raiders, which you give up, give up uh, uh, you know, draft picks for a guy who's not even on your football team. Like, that could happen with Jalen Ramsey. I don't want to sign guys who I think – you know, a month into the season, they might be, for whatever reason, just decide they're not going to be unhappy with their their role and like try to work a trade or, or something or just be unhappy. And it's just it's just not good for business. I don't think it's not good for winning. Uh, you know, overall. So I don't have an pr- issue with Ramsey doing that. By the way, uh, I've heard some different people talking about you know the NFL is turning turning into the NBA now, where players are are you know unhappy with where they are. Of course, Jacksonville, a very small, uh, you know, city there and doesn't have the big market of, you know, the New Yorks and Chicago's and Los Angeles's. Uh, so, you know, that, that might be part of the reason, but I think I'm all for it. If players want to work their way out and they want to risk, you know, turning off a fan base and whatever, that's to me, that's, that's their business. It's like another man's business. I'm not going to 
really uh, you know hate on the way they do it. I would do it differently, you know, play out my contract and, and then move on if that's what he wants to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, obviously he wants out of there. That team uh, seems to be falling apart in uh, under Doug Marone down there in Jacksonville. So it seems like a lot of people are unhappy, uh, including their star their star cornerback. Again, he's extremely talented. But uh, and I like having I like having personalities on the team. Uh, you know that Vikings 2009 team, tons of personalities all over the place. But there wasn't like a negativity around that personality. It was you know the Jared Allens and, and obviously Favre and all that. It, it was just very very different. But it wasn't this negative thing that I feel like could switch in a heartbeat. And, and you know just based off of if Jalen Ramsey Jalen Ramsey's not feeling it that day. Well, I guess my thing would be um, Jalen Ramsey claims, and I tend to believe him the way this played out, that he went behind the scenes and asked for a trade, and then the team leaked it out to national reporters so they could also leak the price, the going price for him. And I think when those two things go along together, you know exactly what's going on there. When it's, well, Jalen Ramsey has asked for a trade, and they want a first, or two firsts. Like, okay, well, his agent wouldn't have known that. Only the team would know that. So I'm not sure that I see him as the same level of malcontent as some other players have been. I mean, Odell Beckham was problematic in a lot of ways. We know now that Antonio Brown was in even more uh, ways than we fully understood when we were having a similar conversation earlier this offseason. But Jalen Ramsey, I mean, a couple of quotes to Esquire saying that uh, certain guys aren't that great of quarterbacks. I mean, he did say that he liked Kirk Cousins, by the way, uh, so there wouldn't be any bad blood there. But, I I mean, I looked at this ESPN timeline of things that have gone wrong with Jalen Ramsey, and I couldn't find anything aside from a few quotes here or there and then this argument with Doug Marone, which I could tell you he is not the first player. I can confirm that from having <laughs> been at his previous location. Uh, he had a similar fight with Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes is still there and good, and Doug Marone obviously uh, not still there. Um, probably for a reason. Uh, so he has trouble getting along with players, and I know that for a fact. Um, so, so I guess I wasn't surprised at all to see Ramsey and Doug Marone getting into it or to see him wanting out. I mean, when you look at the state of that franchise, they've got, um, you, you know, your, your gardener playing a uh, quarterback, a guy who, you know, has never played before in the NFL because Nick Foles went down. You have a defense that isn't what it used to be. They haven't come to Ramsey or signed him to the long-term contract yet. So he, and he's talking about wanting to actually win when they did win. He was one of their key players in two. 2017. And the other part of this, too, uh, Sage, is that Xavier Rhodes on Sunday allowed, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, seven throws in his direction for seven completions and just hasn't looked like the same guy in quite some time. And I think if the Vikings are going to have a number one defense, they have to have someone like Jalen Ramsey. Half of Xavier Rhodes, to me, just is not going to be good enough to have the best defense in the NFL. So, you know, Rhodes has been, I guess, a star on this team, one of the, you know, foundational blocks, uh, along with Harrison Smith and obviously Barr and Kendricks, now Daniil Hunter, uh, Everson Griffin. These guys have been, you know, super solid for a number of years now. We saw a drop off last year with Xavier Rhodes. I think that drop off has continued, mm-hmm. and I think it's worse than it was last year. Now, again, we're only two games in. But teams are not at all scared to throw the ball his way. They're having success throwing the ball his way. And he's become a liability sometimes in, in the run game. 
Uh, there, there was two or three runs the other day that, uh, when the receiver was in a tight split, the outside receiver that he was covering, uh, but he was a, what we call a cover two corner where he was responsible for run support, not a safety who's playing over the top, uh, that he would sort of get sucked in with the receiver, uh, as the runs coming his way and then lose, uh, leverage, uh, on his spot on that outside gap and the ball would get outside and get nine, 10, uh, 12 yards on two or three runs the other day. So he wasn't very good in, in, in pass defense, and he wasn't very good in run defense either. And uh, he had a couple of good tackles. He's not scared to stick his head in there, uh, but he was just he's just been getting out of position. And I do believe he's lost a bit of a step. I mean... That's part of the reason that, uh, you know, he's, people are getting open on him. He's not as explosive. He's not as quick, uh, as he once was. And he's a bigger guy. So it's hard for bigger guys to play that cornerback position to play, uh, in, in the man to man stuff for a really long time, for 10 plus years. Uh, you know, a guy like Trey Waynes, I think will we'll have a longer, career in a sense of his ability to cover corners man-to-man because he's a little bit smaller and he can really, really run. And I, I do think Rhodes has lost a step and and, uh, and he's not great in the running game, so he has to play much better. He's I think he's one of the few guys on defense who I, who has not played winning football, in my opinion. Well, And this is part of the um, Jalen Ramsey argument from my perspective is that Trey Waynes will be a free agent, so they have to decide what to do with him. Are you going to um, try to franchise tag him? Are you going to try and sign him to a long-term contract. So can I say something there, by the way? What's that? So one, I think organizationally the Vikings usually do this, and I think most – and they do it because uh, they know more information, so it's always good to have more information when you re-sign one of the guys you already have. But it's really big for sort of team chemistry and I don't call it camaraderie team. Yeah, I guess the team chemistry, the team uh, mindset. When you know, it, let's just say Trey Wayne, who has played pretty well as a Viking, uh, comes up in free agency and they don't offer him a deal and he goes somewhere else and they go out and chase somebody who has a little bit of a history there, give up maybe even a draft pick for him or they don't, whatever. But he comes and they swap him out, and you know, again, an unknown commodity. Uh, you know, players don't always like that. If they, if Trey Wayne is well liked on the football team and he has played well, uh, I think the team would always prefer to play the guy, to pay the guy they know rather than overpay somebody that they, they don't know all those variables, in particular the off the field stuff with Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. And, and well, as it pertains to that, I think that Ramsey is so much better than Trey Wayne's is a corner that Ramsey has the potential every year to be a top five, if not the best corner in the NFL. PFF and 2017 had him as the second best corner in the entire league, as opposed to Trey Wayans, who has consistently been average. Last year was a step down, I believe. But I still have his, I can call this up for you, his numbers when people throw his way. Even if he dipped back a little bit last year on a team that played as a whole not very well. The, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was still terrific in shutting down opposing receivers. Last year, a 73 quarterback rating when throwing his way. 2017, it was a 66. I mean, so basically you're turning... Pretty dang good. He's a good corner. Yeah, one yeah. Of he's he's one league. of the best players in the NFL, I think. Well, and, so, the Vikings, and the Vikings also have you know, Mike Hughes, who I believe is coming back possibly at some point soon. Or, yeah, yep. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about Xavier Rhodes' first-round draft pick. Uh, Trey Wayne's first round draft pick, Mike Hughes' first round draft pick. You know, I, I understand the, the the importance of corner and all those things, but uh, you know, this team has issues somewhere else. So we we need some offensive line. And you look at what the Dallas Cowboys have done with their offensive line; they're like all first and second round draft picks. I mean, they have heavily invested 
at that position uh, because they believe it makes the running back better, makes the quarterback better. And uh, and, and I do believe in that. I, I'm a big believer in having a, I'm not necessarily an expensive or first-round draft pick offensive line, but it should be something that is not overlooked uh, from the coach that is there uh, to the players that are added, whether it's free agency or the draft. Uh, the offensive line, to me, is is a spot to, to really spend whatever capital you have, financial, draft picks. Uh, it's a very, very important position. I'd rather spend it there than add another first-round corner to the mix. Well, there's no question about that, that the offensive line has been disastrous for this team for a long time. Uh, just to finish out the um, comparison with Waynes and uh, Jalen Ramsey, Career quarterback rating when throwing at Trey Waynes is 88.3, which so Ramsey has never even come close to allowing uh, that much quarterback success. And, you know, that's kind of what Waynes does. So I see it as a significant upgrade um, this year over Xavier Rhodes and then possibly in the future over Trey Waynes if they were going to do it. But your point is valid. I mean, if they're going to at any point be a successful offense, they have to improve on the offensive line. But now you look at the line and the left guard is a top three round draft pick. The center is a first round draft pick. The right tackle is a second round draft pick. The right, uh, the left tackle is a $50 million player. The right guard has $10 million guaranteed over the next few years. They sign him to a multi-year deal. So, I mean, they've been pouring assets into it and continuing to make mistakes on the offensive line too. So I don't look at it as, well, you, if you do this, you can't ever continue to improve the offensive line because you'll still have all your other draft picks and you'll still have money to spend in free agency. It would be right now you can take a shot at being the number one defense, Sage, which I think good luck, good luck winning anything if you're not going to be a top three defense for this team, the way that this offense is, the way that this offensive line is. I think that's going to be a really tough task if they can't be one of the best defenses in the NFL. Which leads me to one other thing I like to talk about. And, you know, the Vikings, one thing they, they, I think they've done a nice job defensively so far. They are right in the middle of the pack in the NFL, giving up almost 110 yards a game rushing. They're 15th in the league right now, which isn't bad. It's not terrible by any means, but that's an important stat for me. Uh, for really good defenses, they do stop the run first because then that creates all sorts of problems for the offense in the passing game. And if they get a lot of yards, if you do stop the run, you end up in these last third, third and eights and third and tens and third and twelves. Uh, and that's when really good things happen for a defense. And so that would be something that, uh, that the Vikings really could probably, you know, f- sort of focus on, uh, that they do need to stop the run better and not give up, uh, uh, as many six, seven, eight yarders on first and second down. So when we come back, let's look at a few more players on the defensive side. Um, some from the good and some from the bad side over these first two games. And then, uh, we, we'll also do journeyman quarterback of the week. And I'm very, very happy about mine, Sage. So we will uh, be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Time for the Score North Download. Jonathan here with the download today. Vikings had some press conferences, one with Zimmer, one with Diggs, one with uh, Kirk Cousins. 
Zimmer, when asked about his confidence in his quarterback, had this to say. Well, Kirk, Kirk had an up-and-down game last week. He's going to be fine. Um, we have the utmost confidence in him. You know, He's in a good place. He's going to play good this week, and uh, he'll continue to play good the rest of the year. So later when Kirk took the podium, he was asked about Zimmer saying that about him, and it seems like Kirk's kind of on, of the understanding that he does have to play a lot better. Here's what he had to say. Nice to, nice to be believed in. Uh, you got to go out and earn it, though. In this league, no one's giving you anything. This isn't a charity. Uh, you got to play well to earn people's confidence. So if he's saying that, it's because he's seen practice reps, he's seen game reps, he's seen what we're capable of as, a, as an offense throwing the football. And uh, and so you got to go out and earn it. Believe me, I'm not going to be playing quarterback here if I play the way I did this past Sunday for much longer. So uh, I understand that, and um, you know, I look forward to getting out there and playing at a much higher level. Thoughts, Vikings fans? What's your confidence level in Kirk Cousins right now? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. The countdown to the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon weekend is on. If you're not running, be one of the 4,000 volunteers who will make this annual community jewel sparkle. Whether you help at the expo or on the course or at the finish line, you'll find your efforts satisfying and appreciated. Visit tcmevents.org forward slash volunteer to learn more and sign up. That's your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels for a couple more minutes here. Judd Zolgad comes in. We'll also talk to Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus in a few minutes as well. Okay, uh, I want to throw a name at you, Sage, and I want you to give me your reaction. J. Ron Curse, reaction. I think he's playing well. You know, he doesn't play a ton on defense in the past. More of a special teams guy, backup defense guy. You see him, of course, ton in the preseason. But uh, he's gotten a lot of reps out there at various positions. I've seen him play safety. I've seen him play nickel will. I think even just straight-up cornerback uh, at one point. And, you know, he got beat on an early. Uh, they had like a third and eight or so, and, and they did a straight-up out route to Devontae Adams, and he had him one-on-one, and, and he was lined up in sort of outside leverage, so he's probably trying to take away that out route. But, you know, Devontae Adams is one of the best route runners in the league, so that mm-hmm. wasn't surprising he got beat, you know, on that play. But for the most part, uh, in the pass game, he's played pretty well, but really in the running game. I mean, he had a couple of big plays. Him and Harrison Smith were like twins the other day. They had two or three times where they tackled uh, uh, an offensive player from the other team right before the first down marker on a you know a third and two or something like that or on a fourth down. I thought I think he's playing some pretty good football. And in terms of his PFF grades, uh, very highly regarded in uh, both coverage and run defense so far. Through the first couple of games, Curse is right behind Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris is the highest graded players and just above Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin. So that kind of gives you an idea of how well he's played. But I also think the same thing of Eric Kendricks, uh, Sage, that he is really, really good so far this year. Yeah, there's a lot of guys playing good football. I, I think, you know, Kendricks is all over the field. It's, it seemed like he was in a, on or near about every tackle last week. Same with Harrison Smith all over the football field. You know, these a lot of these guys are playing really good ball. The Vikings are interesting. We have some players playing great football, fantastic football, and then we have like some serious concerns, mm-hmm. you know. It's like yeah. you know, we talk about the ship. We've got uh the you know the on one side it's the prettiest thing you've ever seen and then there's a couple holes over here <laughs> that are, you know, starting to add a little bit more water and we're just hoping those holes don't get bigger. So, uh there are some there are some guys, you know, through two games Vikings are one on one. I don't think it's a sinking ship. Uh, it d- does have issues, uh, but I think it sh- you know credit should be given to where credit is due. And we talk about offense on this show because that's sort of my specialty. Uh, but I've been very impressed with this defense and some of these guys. A guy like J. Ron Curse sort of getting his shot here. You know, could he be a starting you know player in this league? He hasn't really had that opportunity yet. Uh, he's making the most of it, and if he plays 
like this, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the year, and, and gets a, he'll get more and more reps, more and more playing time, and uh, and he might be in a might be one of those guys that other teams look for uh, maybe as a safety uh, whenever he comes up as a free agent. All right, before we wrap up, Sage Journeyman Quarterback of the Week for the Oakland Raiders, I'm going with Jason Campbell. As an Oakland Raider, he actually went 11-7 and as a starter and didn't have too bad of numbers, but overall his career pretty disappointing for a first-round pick. A couple of years in Washington, then on to Oakland, Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati, where he wrapped up his career. And, uh, you know, I think maybe a guy that in today's game would have done a little better for himself, like uh, pretty successful on short passes and things like that, didn't exactly have the accuracy down the field, kind of a safe quarterback, um, but, uh, you know, not a bad little career for Jason Campbell. No, a really nice career. First-round draft pick and and uh, was the SEC Player of the Year uh, at Auburn. Uh, had a heck of a senior year, did, did not lose. Uh, by the way, they do. Oakland is one of the teams that has the king of journeyman backup quarterbacks that played there. And it was he played uh, in, the, in my only start against the Oakland Raiders at Oakland. He was the opposing quarterback. Do you know who that is? Who is that? Um, Josh McCown. Josh McCown. Oh, that's right. Josh yeah, that's McCown, right. Yeah. There was a so, great story about Al Davis and Josh McCown that Al Davis liked Josh McCown because he had a great arm and he thought uh, that McCown should throw it downfield more often. And basically, Al Davis stopped him in the parking lot and said something like, why aren't you throwing it deep more often? Which is the most on-brand Al Davis thing of all time. That's about that's classic Al Davis. Uh, <laughs> Marky's Tuyasa Sopo wasn't really oh, a journeyman. Oh, that's a good one. But, but a, a good name, teams. though. Yep. Yeah, great name. One of the all, great name, right? Marquis Tuyasa Sopo. He was drafted in the second round my year in 2001 uh, by John Gruden and, and basically was a backup there for a couple of years. My only Tuyasa Sopo story is this. He was at University of Washington uh, in, in 2000 playing in the Rose Bowl against Drew Brees and uh, the Purdue Boilermakers. And Drew got hurt at one point and, and Washington was starting to make this comeback. And uh, and, and, and Tuya, I, he told me this story. I don't know if it was at the Combine or, or some sort of event that I saw him at, he said when, when Breeze ran back out of the tunnel, the whole crowd erupts, and he just knew at that point that they were screwed. <laughs> because Bree was, Breeze is just one of those guys that was just going to find a way to bring his team back, and sure enough, he did, and and uh, and Breeze won the Rose Bowl. So, uh, you know, the, the, I always said that was a really interesting story that, you know, Drew has always had that sort of magic uh, that uh, you know, teams could just feel the energy that when he came out there, uh, he was gonna, he was a game changer, and, and sure enough, that happened in the Rose Bowl in 2000. So unfortunately, Tuas Sopo didn't have a bunch of teams that he traveled to, but I will tell you that I covered his brother in minor league baseball, Matt Tuyasa Sopo, who also could have probably been an NFL quarterback, but he played baseball, and he ended up basically topping out at AAA, played for the Buffalo Bisons. I did a long feature on his journey and all that sort of thing. Uh, so a, a nice couple of fellas. Uh, I just wanted so, to... So, by the way, by real quick, now not necessarily a journeyman quarterback, but journeyman Pac-12 quarterbacks coach. <laughs> That's He's been at Washington, UCLA... <laughs> Uh, he's been at USC and now he's at Cal Berkeley. Oh, okay. Journeyman uh, quarterbacks coach I mean, is perfect. Just incredible. He's been at UCLA a couple times. I mean, there you go. Second stint. Second right? stint. So he's a journeyman yeah. uh, quarterbacks coach uh, in the Pac-12. I would, I would also add from Jason Campbell's Wikipedia because there's always something great in every journeyman's Wikipedia. This is under personal life. Campbell made several appearances in TV commercials for Eastern's Automotive Group, a local dealership group in the D.C. and Baltimore areas, along with Clinton Portis, Antoine Randall L., and Chris Cooley. 
I'm just glad they fit that in there. Like the, I mean, just I, I feel like one of his maybe the automotive group actually wrote that. <laughs> right, you know? yeah, right. Like, why is this in here? <laughs> Free I mean, advertising. A, a quarterback is going to do some local advertising. I mean, isn't Kirk Cousins doing a pizza ranch commercial or something? It's like hey, that. Don't mess that buffet. A pizza ranch is the real deal. Uh yeah. Okay. Let's. Uh, you're trying to get in that. I'm from Iowa, that so yeah, too. we love our pizza ranch. <laughs> Uh, all right, great stuff, Sage. We will get together. You're going to be on at uh, 4.20 on Friday with Mackie and Judd and Rami, and then we'll get together to break down Oakland and uh, Minnesota next Monday. So great stuff, man. Sounds good. Sage Rosenfeld's there a couple times a week on this show, also on the afternoon show as well at 4.20 every Friday. All right, we're going to take a break. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus is going to come on talk about Garrett Bradbury's slow start, and maybe I can get him to say the Vikings should trade for Jalen Ramsey. We'll be right back. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, hour number two of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you here. If you missed any of Sage Rosenfels, who did not want to trade for Jalen Ramsey, a shame. Uh, you could listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just type in Purple Daily, and you can hear us every single day, two hours of football. All right, joining the show now from Pro Football Focus, Mike Renner. What's up, Mike? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, for sure. Now, Mike, I got to start out by asking you about Garrett Bradbury because I saw a tweet of yours the other day about Bradbury, and we talked about him when they drafted him. Um, I have never seen pass blocking grades of zero or sixteen point three. Um, first, can you explain how in the world someone could have a zero? And then also, I mean, was this foreseeable that Garrett Bradbury would struggle so much early in his career with pass protection? Well, you get a zero when you lose uh, a lot and lose quickly. Uh, is the two <laughs> factors that really go into the grades there. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just been ugly. I mean, he hasn't had a ton. The, the sample size isn't huge at this point, only two games. Uh, but what we've seen from him, he struggled with quickness week one against Grady Jarrett, struggled with strength this past week uh, against Kenny Clark. So uh, it just hasn't been good. And I, one of the biggest reasons I had him lower uh, on the PFF board than a lot of other people did, why I didn't think he was slam dunk, why I said Elton Jenkins was a better uh, player than him, why I would have rather had him than uh, Garrett Bradbury is because of his pass protection. You saw at the Senior Bowl, he got bull rushed consistently in the one-on-ones, just didn't have the anchor to hold up. He is an undersized guy with short arms. Uh, that doesn't mesh well with pass protecting uh, at the NFL level, and he's in a division with, Kenny Clark, Eddie Goldman, uh, Damon Harrison, where it's not really going to get much easier from, unfortunately. So, Mike, I'm, I'm looking at uh, what they list Garrett Bradbury in terms of weight, 306. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, there's no way he weighs 306 right now in the NFL. And then I looked at Akeem Hicks and how much he weighs, and it's 352. I believe that. How much Jonathan Hankins weighs this week? It's 340. I'll buy it. Uh, I mean, did the Vikings make a mistake in spending an early pick on a guy in the NFL in 2019 where the defensive linemen are just murderers uh, that that was going to be undersized like this? I think they fell in love with the scheme fit. I mean, the Kubiak zone scheme, he is a perfect fit for in the running game. Uh, we haven't had nearly the issues we've had. Yeah, I think he is going to be one of the best run block contenders in the NFL. Uh, but I think you're going to see maybe a career similar to uh, what we've seen from Jason Kelsey, where early on in Jason Kelsey's career, he was a liability in pass protection. And there were times 
there were years where, uh, I mean, Eagles fans wanted him cut because he just couldn't hold up to the bull rush. That pocket was getting pressed every time. Uh, so I do think that, uh, you know, if you're really going to be a super run-heavy team, yes, maybe uh, that it was the pick for you. But I think in today's NFL, that's not the way you want to be headed. So if you're asking me if they made a mistake, I think they did. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is is we're talking about you've got on the board Garrett Bradbury and Andre Dillard. Dillard is a left tackle who might be there. You know, he was the best pass blocker. He might be your guy for 10 years. And I didn't love the idea of moving Riley Reef inside, but it certainly couldn't have gone worse than what's happened at left guard so far. And I actually think Reef being such a mauler, he probably would have been able to figure it out a lot better. Um, but the size and the, and the strength comparison and pass protection – and this is the whole thing, Mike. With with the NFL now, I mean, everything is how well can you pass? And if you could pass the ball really well, you can win. And the Vikings are sitting here not only saying on a weekly basis, yeah, we're going to rely on Delvin Cook to win us football games, but they're also saying we're going to draft players and design our offensive line to run the football. It just seems to be like... Uh, counter-intellectual or something. Like, we're going to take all the data that you have for us and be like, no, we're going to do the exact opposite and see how that works. Yeah, and the thing is, NFL teams almost don't uh, listen to themselves or listen to the market. They make different decisions at different points in time. You go to the free agency, Mitch Morris becomes the highest-paid center in the NFL for something like $11 million. Uh, and uh, what's to say? Trent Brown becomes the highest-paid tackle. Uh, in the NFL for something like $18 million. So mm-hmm. right there, you're saying that the tackle is almost, you know, uh, 75% more valuable than the center position right then. But then it comes to the draft and all of a sudden, you know, that completely flies out the window. You take a center over a tackle, even though, uh, like you said, you could have used either. It either would have worked out in that offense. You could have gone for the more valuable position. Uh, that they chose center. Now, Mike, you covered the draft for PFF, and I want to get to some things, including uh, how the wide receivers for the Gophers have looked. But I'm also desperate for someone to agree with me about Jalen Ramsey. So if you could do that for me. Um, <laughs> I, I think the Vikings are in a position to say, you know what, if we trade a first-round pick from next year, it's probably not going to be a super-high draft pick. And you need better players on this defense right now because the way that this offense is trending through two weeks, I think they're going to need to be great on defense to be a threat to be a Super Bowl team. And any talented player that is on this level is hard to come across with the 18th pick or the 23rd pick. So I I think it would be totally worth it, um, especially considering that Xavier Rhodes has struggled to try and call the Jaguars and see what they want for Jalen Ramsey. Yes, uh, I'm in agreement, especially Thank when you're a team you. like, like the Vikings <laughs> where, uh, not like the Steelers where you, you know you're pretty much going to be drafting outside the top 15. That pick's not going to end up uh, being super high, so it's not going to be a crazy valuable uh, sort of first-rounder. And you have a year and a half more, I believe, of Ramsey under some sort of cost control uh, to where I, I think you definitely – uh, would at least kick the tires there. I think he's worth a first at this point. He's worth, uh, to me, uh, as, I mean, he's worth more to a defense than I think than Khalil Mack is in terms of what he brings to the table. And if you have him and David Rhodes, that completely transforms that defense. The second quarterback position there has been a bit of an issue. So I do think it's worth kicking the tires. A lot of guys don't want to alienate you know, their number one corner by bringing in a guy like Jalen Ramsey. That conversation to me, whatever, uh, that's I don't agree with that sort of line of thinking, but I do 
Uh, I do think any team that's reasonably in the playoff hunt that feels like good about their chances this year should be willing to part ways with the first rounder for Jalen Ramsey. Talking with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, and he's going to be 25 years old soon, so not in any way, shape, or form old. And now you, you mentioned that you thought he was more valuable than some of the best pass rushers. Maybe you can explain that because I, I look at the secondary and, and how they play. And a great example is Kansas City last year, where Kansas City put a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and it just didn't really matter because they had no corners and no safeties and that's why they went out and got Tyron Matthew and probably should have done more in the offseason and I I think even though the Vikings are creating a ton of pressure with Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin if there are issues on the back end especially with roads being dinged up that if they don't find a way to improve this eventually it's going to bite yeah I I think with the number one pass rusher and you obviously see with Khalil Mack a lot you can chip a guy like that there are things you can do to uh, slow him down. If you have a number one cornerback and he lines across from, you know, say, uh, Stefan Diggs or, you know, Adam Thielen, he lines across from him, he's taking him pretty much out of the progression a lot of the time. So, uh, there's not really a recourse you have as an offense to, uh, to take that guy away. So I think that's one of the biggest things, uh, to me is in that debate is just how you can neutralize, you know, Bill Belichick has plays in his playbook, uh, for how to deal with top pass rushers. He didn't have a play in his playbook for how to, basically uh, get rid of a number one corner on the other team. Now, Mike, you, you covered the draft. I mentioned I want to ask you about Tyler Johnson specifically. Uh, he was one of your guys in your top 50 um, uh, before the season. Now, of course, the Gophers have not exactly run people out of the building so far. It hasn't been the most impressive start to a college football season that's gone 3-0 and um, that I've ever seen. But uh, how have you felt about um, Tyler Johnson and his start to the season? And if he's proving to be early on that guy who can be potentially a first-round draft pick receiver? I think he's definitely in the first-round conversation. I worried about his hands going into the year, uh, and I don't think he struggled with drops uh, to start off with, which is a big thing uh, for him because he had something like double-ditch drops last year. It was just uh, at that rate, uh, you know, I don't usually worry about drops too much, but at that rate you're getting into the point where you might not see the field uh, because you're dropping the ball too much in practice and that sort of thing. So, uh, I really like his route running ability. I think uh, my comparison from is actually, unfortunately, Devontae Adams. Uh, <laughs> for you guys there up in Minnesota, he's just that talented at the line of scrimmage, uh, plays a lot from the slot for them. Uh, the only problem with him, and the only sort of isn't a knock even on him, is that there's so many wide receivers that you might see something similar to last year where with all this talent, they get pushed down. So I think, he'd be, I think he is a first-round talent, but he might get pushed down into the second round just because of the numbers game. Yeah, I feel like that does happen. Anybody else emerge for you for the Gophers so far? Uh, I like Kamal Martin. Now He hasn't uh, made a ton of splash plays, but the linebacker there, uh, I, I like what I've seen from a coverage perspective. He didn't cover a lot of ground. Now They had a guy last year that covered a lot of the ground in Blake Cashman that I liked a lot, too. Uh, but I do think Kamal Martin, uh, maybe he's a little longer, maybe fits the NFL profile a little bit better. So I'll say him uh, has caught my eye as well. Okay, last thing for you. And this question doesn't come from me because I'm not there yet. This comes from Twitter. You have to understand. Uh, I'm, I'm just okay. uh, just taking what the fans ask me, and I'm asking you. Um, after Kirk Cousins threw about the worst interception you could possibly throw to lose the game against the Green Bay Packers, I received some tweets about next year's quarterback draft class. Uh, so we know that Miami
Miami is probably going to take Tua, and they're going to lose every game. If they win one, I'd be stunned. Um, but but what about after that? I mean, is this a strong quarterback class um, that you've seen so far? Are there guys who could emerge? Because it is in the realm of reality that if the Vikings miss the playoffs, they would be looking for potentially a future quarterback. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, even two is necessarily penciled in stone, you know, written in stone that he's going to be the number one overall pick. I think Justin Herbert, if he finishes a little stronger, the Auburn game was rough again. That's my biggest concern with him is the big games. He just doesn't seem to show up something mentally. Uh, oh, we don't know anything about that here. With him. Mike. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, there is something to that though. When a guy just doesn't show up consistently in big games, uh, almost actually who he reminds me of is Mitch Trubisky, his last, his one year at North Carolina just had some games. Uh, some of the rivalry games there where he just didn't, he just came up real small, and you've seen that in the NFL as well. Uh, so that, that's the most worrisome thing about him, but he is a cannon for an arm. I mean, his arm talent is off the charts, so I wouldn't be surprised if he goes number one just because, uh, you know, some GMs fall in love with the big arm and are willing to draft that and take a chance on that. So he's right up there, and the guy who's emerged, LSU QB Joe Burrow. I mean, I know it's only three games into the year, but you can't play football better than the way he's playing right now. Game against Texas is probably the most impressive, you know, single performance of anyone who's going to be in this QB class that I've seen uh, on tape. He was just all over the field, all levels of the field, accuracy, arm strength, quick release. Uh, so I obviously need to see more of him because last year was, looks like a completely different quarterback than he looks like this year. Uh, but he might be in that conversation sooner than later if he keeps this up. And, and going back to Herbert, when he threw it out of the back of the end zone at the end of the game against Auburn, it's like, how does that even happen in a in the big situation like that? You've got one last shot, and I know it's just a small thing because the chances of scoring on that play are very small anyway, but to not even give your team any chance to win, I just felt like, man, does that guy, like, does, it, does he struggle in the big moment there? No, yeah, like the, the gamer aspect to him in terms of just, hey, let me give my guy a chance or let me uh, make this throw downfield because it's third down and we have to try it. He doesn't do that. You know, it'll be third down and he'll take that check down, even though he has this cannon of an arm. Uh, he won't try to fit it into that tight window uh, and he won't, you know, understand the situation and know that he has to put that ball in the end zone. So there's just something off there for me. Uh, that's why I'm worried about him. But a lot of people like the arm. I mean, you got a lot of people fall in love with it. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening. He could obviously change that down the stretch this year. That would be peak Minnesota Vikings uh, irony to have signed a quarterback who struggles in big moments and then get rid of him to draft a quarterback who struggles in big moments. But uh, so it almost locks it in that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mike, great stuff as always. Uh, follow him, PFF underscore Mike, the lead draft analyst at Pro Football Focus, and we also make him talk uh, NFL stuff as well. Um, great stuff, Mike. Thanks for coming on, man. For sure. Thanks for having me again. Have a good one. Yep. Follow Mike on Twitter, one of my favorite uh, writers and analysts, and uh, want to remind you before we take a break and Judd Zolgad comes in, talk a little bit more about Jalen Ramsey, that uh, if you go to PFF.com, you can get all of their data, premium stats, information, all those things, whether it's for fantasy or gambling, if you do that, or whatever whatever you like, um, just if you're a fan of the NFL, use the promo code RADIO, R-A-D-I-O, and you can get 25% off your subscription today. So do that at pff.com. Always appreciate Mike coming on. One of my favorite guys, just a really, really bright football analyst. All right, Zolgad in next to talk about Jalen Ramsey and more. We will be right back. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. 
Join Dan Terrar, Kendra D. St. Aubin, and Jamie, Wa- Jamie Watson and myself this Sunday afternoon as Minnesota United travels out west to take on the Portland Timbers with the pregame at 2.30 and kickoff at 3 right here on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com into the free ScoreNorth mobile app. Nice to nice to be believed in. Uh, you got to go out and earn it, though. In this league, no one's giving you anything. This isn't a charity. Uh, you got to play well to earn people's confidence. So if he's saying that, it's because he's seen practice reps, he's seen game reps, he's seen what we're capable of as, a, as an offense throwing the football. And uh, and so you got to go out and earn it. Believe me, I'm not going to be playing quarterback here if I play the way I did this past Sunday for much longer. So uh, I understand that, and um, you know, I look forward to getting out there and playing at a much higher level. Uh, Judd Zilgad, you think Kirk Cousins should have said that? Oh, I, I here's what I want to know: Who during the course of the summer told Kirk Cousins to be this forthright, to mm. fall on the sword at every? Who told him to I do no this? Idea. Who has caused this change in Kirk Cousins? No clue. Um, I, you know what, Matthew? Honestly, I don't think it matters. I, I, I you know. Go out there and play well, or at least play sufficiently. Don't play, don't throw a, a stupid pass into double coverage. But it's it's better than blaming his teammates. But does this solve a thing? The fact he got up there on Sunday. Now, if it was just an occasional bad game and he did this, I'd be like, okay, that's great. But like, if this becomes a weekly thing now, because keep in mind too, he pulled the same thing after. And this game, I know, preseason didn't matter. But after the third preseason Arizona, game, yeah. if I play like this, we're not going to go over. So I can only hear this about, I think, a total of three or four times before I just say, dude, go out there and play well. Uh, yeah, maybe the pendulum today swung a little bit farther the wrong way than it should have in terms of him saying, if I keep playing like this, I won't be the quarterback anymore. You're like... Oh, okay. Now I want to tell you it's only one game. <laughs> and like, you know, we're supposed to be the overreactors. You're like, okay, Kirk, you might be overreacting. But, but it's a false, it's a false statement. Yeah, he knows. Like you're that not he's the like he knows yeah. he knows that until that contract's done, he's basically a starting quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. He so it'd be different if he had a young Tom Brady behind him, right? Where you said, you know, I don't think you're gonna be benched, but maybe you will. Sean Mannion's no threat. Right. No, he's definitely not. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what to say about it other than I sort of rolled my eyes when he said it, just yeah. like probably everyone else. Like, okay. And I saw people retweeting that quote and everything else, and I went, you know, kind of had this feeling of, wait, did I miss something about that being like a big salacious comment from him? I just looked at it more of a thing that a guy feels like he has to say after he's done a bad. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I was bad, well, so I think I'm he just going to take all the blame here. And yeah, I think he thinks this is part of the process, right? Yeah. Like, this is now, if I'm going to blame myself, I should be. He blamed himself on Sunday, blames himself on Wednesday, but ultimately, if he doesn't come back and play well against Oakland, who cares? Right, Then, and it's sort of interesting because how like how will he handle these things if there are three or four more of these performances then will it be like defiance and you guys don't know what you're talking about will it be it was my teammates fault will it be because last year there was a lot of i have an explanation for everything and i'm going to tell you it right now and at times that got him in tricky waters even though i want to hear it because it, I don't think he was ever lying with his explanations. He was telling us how he saw it. But a lot of times it was, ooh, are you sure you want to say that and have your teammates hear you say that? Like, do you really want Kyle Rudolph to hear you say that someone missed a block? Do you really want Riley Reef to hear you say that uh, you were at the right depth in the pocket? But at the same time, 
this becomes a disingenuous act if it's a couple of games in a row or, you know, two out of three and it's, oh, I wasn't good enough. Oh, I wasn't good enough. And then people go, okay, this is just your default go to. And it sort of tells you what a tricky thing this is for quarterbacks. Because if you go up there and you're like, you guys don't know anything, then you're like, oh, somebody's a little defensive. And then if you go up there and go, it's all my fault, we're like, oh, okay, we're not believing you. You, you know what I mean? It, it becomes uh, sort of a tough. Thing. And I guess I didn't look too much into what he said other than just like your reaction. Okay, well, everyone knows you are going to be the quarterback, even if you play like that this week. But by the way, don't play like that this week. That would be my suggestion. Yeah. And just go, you know, go out there and play, play really well and then go up to the podium and said, I stunk last Sunday. I was good this week. And, but yeah, if he continues, if this is now the weekly or every time in big games, Kirk does not play well, he's going to take responsibility at some point in time. We're all just going to say, okay, who cares? You're not doing your job. Do you feel like also that we're not searching for answers with Kirk Cousins personality in his comments really anymore? I mean, we kind of got a really good sense for how he views the game. He's super intellectual about it. He can recall every read that he had on every play right after the game, which is truly amazing. I mean, he talked about one of the plays that went wrong and said, well, this was my read and this is where I could have gotten to. And the other guy was open, but that wasn't part of the progression is like, okay, well uh, that's amazing. And then, you know, the other parts of him being prepared and all those things we know, but we also know that, that he doesn't really have this natural leadership quality to him. We also know that he tends to not fully uh, understand why things went wrong for him, unless it's super obvious like this. If if there's any chance to say, well, it wasn't only me, then you know to himself he's saying it, whether he's saying it's us or not. I think this year what we are hearing from him is what, and, and this is why I pretty much dismiss it, Matthew. We're hearing what he thinks we want to hear. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, yep. I don't feel, you know. For all his faults as a human being, Brett Favre got up there and rambled incessantly, but it was just Favre rambling, but it was Favre. Favre was saying what he thought, and within that, he'd sort of blame himself, and then he'd blame three teammates, and and then he would give you the injury report, and that was Brett, but that was Brett being Brett. Kirk seems to me to be telling us, Kirk thinking to himself, what do they want to hear from me? Here's what they want to hear, so here's what I'm going to tell them, which means it's like the kid who says, I'm sorry. They're not really sorry. They just got caught. Kirk just had a bad game, and so he is trying to um, articulate not what he really thinks necessarily, but what he... Because when you say, I'm not going to be the quarterback here for long, and you are in the midst of a three-year, $84 million contract, that's not true. Right. Like, you're basically lying. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just... I don't put... It's interesting, but I don't put stock in it. And if you're not, if you're not sort of being disingenuous there, if you're being serious and you think it was so bad last week after going back and watching it, that if you ever play like that again, you won't play. Whoa! I mean, that, that means it was as bad as it could possibly be, and you're looking at it like, if I don't turn this around, I'm not going to be the quarterback anymore, so... It's like either way you take that comment, it's not in a good place. And I think it's probably the best thing for us to just sort of shrug our shoulders at it. Doesn't really mean a whole lot. But in terms of 
Kirk quotes, it's the most bizarre of the year so far, aside from talking about the guy's butt sweat, which it turns out now that we all know that centers have this issue. And there was a story about Brady and his centers having butt sweat, too. So I guess it's not that unusual. Um, so that that puts this in the lead of him saying that uh, if he keeps playing this way, he's not going to be the quarterback anymore. What do you think of, of this? So let's forget uh, Kirk's quotes for a second. Mike Zimmer's quotes on Sunday and then again today on Kirk. What does it say about Mike's faith and or what he thinks the quarterback, who, by the way, obviously the key player, the ability of that person to process is when Mike Zimmer, of all people, puts on mega kid gloves. Like his his comments, ordinarily, I would expect at the very least, Kirk played a terrible game. Kirk knows that. I'm not going to get into what we've talked about, but it's been discussed. Okay, something like that. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Mike's quote today was, he's gone major kid gloves here. And Mike does, you know, especially with quarterbacks, that's not the norm. So I would say this, that I'm guessing that when Kirk Cousins signed with the Minnesota Vikings, that he told Mike Zimmer, do not do to me what you did to Case Keenum under any circumstance, or I'm going to be really mad. Like, do do not come out in front of the media and air your issues with how I threw this pass or how I threw that pass. And if we could come to that agreement, this will be fine. You and I can get along together. If you go out there and you hammer me for every throw or, or don't show any faith in me, then that's going to make me worse, and I'm going to really not get along with you very well. That's my guess at what happened. Because the difference from how Zimmer talked about Case Keenum to how he's talked about Kirk Cousins is so outrageously different. And it's it's more similar to Sam Bradford where he refused to blame Bradford. But I also think, I mean, Bradford's offensive line was struggling so much. The offensive coordinator quit or got fired. Uh, and he actually came around to really like Sam Bradford. I think they got along pretty well, Mike Zimmer and Bradford. And we know how much that he liked Teddy. It was really only case that he hammered super hard. But I don't think he has the same reasons to like Kirk the way he did with Sam and the way he did with uh, Teddy. So it's got to be there in the back of his mind. Like, oh, I'd love to let loose about that last throw. But he's also got to be strategically thinking... I don't know what good it does. And it seems that Zimmer put a lot more effort into thinking strategically at the podium this year because of even just through training camp when he wanted to send somebody a message, he would come up there and we could have asked him, hey, Mike, is it warm out today? And he would say, I need better from the defense, right? And it was was very clear that he was using it a little more often to send messages to the receivers when he trashed them. I think we asked about... You know, hey, is anybody emerging? And he very easily could have said, oh, I like everything. Sure. And instead he said they better get their butts in gear. So in in the past, maybe he was winging it a little more, and now he's thinking a little more thoughtfully about how he wants to answer these things. I think it's the right approach because he has no choice. He's got no other option. If you go up there and make Cousins even more nervous and even more anxious, I mean, I think last year, him even saying this about Cousins, even saying, I told him that if you turn the ball over, you're getting people fired. And you saw the big-time throws go down. You saw his risks go down. You saw his sacks go up after that. Because at times early in the season, with pressure on him, he made some pretty risky throws that turned out to be great. One in Philadelphia on a bomb from the end zone. The one in Green Bay into a tight window. And then that went away. And so I think even those types of things from Zimmer can be detrimental 
to Kirk Cousins, and his mind state is kind of a fascinating thing to track. That's, that's what I'm. His time here, exactly. That now, it, I don't think or expect Mike should torch Kirk. What I'm saying is he's now to a point with Kirk where you can tell he's not going to say a thing, which is not Mike. Yep. yep. To me, to me, th- this is going to sound crazy. To me, this is the ultimate lack of respect that Mike can give a player when he knows the player can handle nothing. I mean, I can't disagree. And I, I can't I'm disagree. With, I'm with you. I think Mike's playing this right. But, Mike, you know, with Teddy, Mike would say things. Yeah. He would talk about him. Yeah. He loved him, but he would talk about him. And I think that you're right. I think with Sam, he got comfortable. Sam was sort of a weird cat, his own guy. But I think that they developed a relationship that definitely worked. And but this is a guy. This is a veteran quarterback that Mike is essentially treating like a first round draft pick in his second year who's struggling. So he's just going to say nothing. And, and in Mike's world, that corporate thing that's not normal. It's if ab- this was Rocco, I'd be like, yeah, this yeah. is perfect, Rocco. It's absolutely the same way he handles first round picks who are having a tough time. Correct. For the first year of Laquan Treadwell, it was, hey, I like this kid. I like this kid. And then the second year was. If you run and one more stadium step, I'm coming out there. And, and, and that's usually how it goes because Mike understands that players take a while as rookies and he's not going to come out and go, Garrett Bradbury. Oh my gosh. What is going on at the center position? Because he, and I would tend to agree with this, that knows that Bradbury will take time like any other rookie to get into their circumstances. And then three years from now, he'll say, man, I thought that guy was awful and he turned out to be pretty good. You know, he always does that. Um, so to treat Cousins the same way and to essentially not even acknowledge that he had a poor game and really not say anything about it other than we believe in him. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think it says what he thinks of Kirk as in terms of his mental ability to handle it. I think it also says that in a way, Mike is sort of putting it out of his own hands. Like, yeah, we're going to coach him up, but. I mean, what am I supposed to do about it? I got to believe in him or there's no real other option. And think about that for a second, though. We're talking about what a, a guy who's starting in his fifth year in his eighth year who is making mega, mega bucks to play quarterback for your team, which, by the way, the day he was signed, you saw as a Super Bowl team. And now you're to a point of and, and this is not the Packers game. This is a body of work now. This is not just week two. This is. Week 16, or week 17, I should say, of last year. This is the uh, Patriots game. It's the Seahawks game. This is a body of work of a guy in Zimmer coming to realize that mentally, Kirk has to be almost basically patted on the head and said, I hope this week it's going to go okay. Yeah, and that's the only way I think he can handle it. I think if he came out and he ripped him, that would be troublesome for Cousins. It would get inside his head. I think that even if he came out and was defiant about it to the media would be insulting to everybody. I mean, if he came out and said, oh, Kirk actually played great. You guys didn't know it. And you'd right. be like, okay, Mike, well, come on now. We Everyone saw the game. You know exactly what happened. Now, the, the best approach for him is probably to say, look, I mean, everybody in the NFL, even Tom Brady, has a bad game every once in a while. And there was a game a few years ago with Brady where he looked 
so washed that I think our station in Buffalo was like, is it is it over? Is the Brady thing? That was like 2014. And, of course, he came back and won more Super Bowls, and that's Tom Brady for you. But the point is that even the best quarterbacks can have bad games. And so to say, look, there's 14 weeks left. You get over it. You move on to the next one. We're going to play Oakland. It's going to be okay. I mean, that's the type of vibe that this team is trying to sell but, right now. But that's and, the quote. That's the quote that I would expect, what you just said. Yeah. That would be the quote. And he sort of intimated that a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think that they're trying to sell that. But what I'm getting to is that I'm not really buying it, and I don't think anyone else is either. After that game, if you were on the sideline, if you were in the front office, if you were in the coaching room, and you don't look at that and go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, for a number of different reasons, not just one interception, but the fact that the Green Bay Packers also figured out how to shut down play action. And if you shut down Kirk Cousins play action, good luck having a good season for Kirk Cousins because that's where he's done most of his damage for his entire career. And it seems like maybe when you talk about it all off season, how you're going to do it. And maybe when you hire a guy that's been in the league for freaking ever, that everyone has gotten the same look at Gary Kubiak's playbook a hundred times over that they say, you know what? If we do this little thing off the outside edge, which is not follow that tackle down the line. And we say, you know what? Run with Delvin cook, get your five yards of carry. That's fine. Usually good passing offenses are eight yards a pass. So we'll take that and we'll shut down Delvin Cook eventually. I mean, this team has a pretty poor scoring percentage, pretty poor expected points added so far through two games. If I am an opposing defense, I am doing the exact thing the Packers did. Beat us with Delvin Cook. Go ahead and try. Because name <laughs> name me the team that had the best running back in the league and then just ran over everyone and won a Super Bowl. I can't name one. Yeah. And, and the sad thing is... In week two at Lambeau Field, it should have worked. It, in that game, it should have worked only because the Packers tried a million ways to give it away. No, they did, but but that but that's this league right now, and, and you know as well as I do. In the month of September, that's this league. You can be given games, and the Packers yeah. tried to, yep. and that, that's why this loss hurts so much because there is no reason why we aren't sitting here talking about Cousins had a bad day and this team is two and zero. Oh. There's no reason why. And those are the type of losses you can't flush. Oh, I yeah. yeah no, the Packers, you're right. right the Packers, totally the Packers tried. The Packers basically said, "We think your formula is flawed," and they almost gave the Vikings that game. Yep, yep. And and, that, and that's where I think this sort of reverberates more than just it was one bad week. Correct. In fact, if you were given the choice, and and I told you, you know what, you can have that one. Or you could just have a no-show from anybody, and you can lose 28-7. Which would you take? You would take 28-7, because you would just say, well, you know, things didn't go our way. And it was Lambeau, and, you know, I don't know what happened, but let's move on to the next week. When it has that same feeling of you should have won, but you ripped, what is it, stealing a victory from the jaws of defeat or something, Mm -hmm. or however that works. Mm -hmm. Um, But when, when you feel like you stole the win away from yourself because your quarterback can't perform in big spots, I mean, that is a helpless feeling for the team. And so even to come out and say, hey, it's just one week, it's pretty hard to even buy that because of what a kick in the gut that was. It's a good thing they're going up against Oakland, but I want to tell you when we return i'm going to give you a couple of things to be concerned about with oakland and then let's talk about jalen ramsey all right we'll be right back matthew collar judd zolgad you're listening to purple daily here on score north 
Time for the Score North download. This download powered by Modest Brewing Company. Jonathan with this hour's download. If you missed it in the first hour, we talked, or Matthew Caller talked with Sage Rosenfels about whether the Vikings should trade for Jalen Ramsey. Rosenfels was out. Caller was in. You can read Matthew Caller's article on why he explains, or how he explains that the Vikings should go after Jalen Ramsey over at scorenorth.com. We got the article up. It's right on the front page there in the main section. The Vikings should trade for Jalen Ramsey. Callers explanation why they should go over to scorenorth.com right now to read that as well as some of our other Vikings coverage and all of our Twins coverage as well. If you are going to a Twins game, check out Modest Brewing Company, located only two blocks from the Target Field Station. Modest is known for serving a wide variety of one-of-a-kind, super drinkable craft beers for all for their full menu or of craft beers. Go to modestbrewingcompany.com. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. If you went to the Twins game last night, you might still be there. Uh, <laughs> very, very long game last I, night. I departed after the night. You left early? Yes. So did Declan. So did Danny. Yeah, you can only take so much. It's the White Sox. Beat Fair the White enough. Sox. You're up five nothing. Beat the White Sox. It, uh, that that one went very late. Uh, I got a text message from you after I had already gone to bed about the game, I, which also yeah. What? Why would you do that? What do you mean? I mean, it's like after midnight. I think. Sometimes you you're up late. Like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. Right, okay, uh, Jalen. You go watch YouTube NFL highlights from 1986 at 2 a.m. Sometimes, sometimes. But after we came back from Lambeau, like I, I needed to uh, get some sleep. I was exhausted. It's a long day. <laughs> not just for you. Uh, yeah, that's right. For, think for, for them. For think them about the quarterback. Well. Yeah. But that drive back, that will just wear you down. The drive from Wisconsin back here, like through the fog, and there's deer the everywhere that you got to watch the out for. The fog wasn't fun, yeah. It was, it was stressful. And I got poked in the belly by a bartender. Yeah, that was super weird. <laughs> I'm not over how weird Oh, you don't know was. about that? I read about this. I haven't heard the full story, though. That's what it was. I mean, we were eating prime ribs, oh, which so were good. delicious and amazing, in a small place called Clintonsville. And the bartender, who's an older gentleman, wandered by first and said... Something like, is there enough bleeping meat there for you? And I was like, Wisconsin, man. All right, I'm down with this. Yeah, I'm not offended. The waiter said this? Yeah, uh, the bartender. And wow. then when, so I was like, okay, that's all right, I guess. I mean, it was a lot of meat. And then Good. we come back. It was like they had killed the cow out back and brought it to you. I mean, it's Wisconsin. I, which I think is very possible. <laughs> yeah, it was like, is this half of the cow that we're eating right now? So then he comes back, and Judd's still working his way through it, and then he pokes Judd in the belly <laughs> and says, you're not going to be hungry later or something like that. You're not going to be hungry for a while, for are you? For a while, yeah. And he said it in sort of a... Very sexual way. Yeah. It was super creepy. And then he went to, to the bar, sat down, not behind the bar, in but at the bar, and started to get a back rub from a patron. Yeah, it was huh, what? super weird. What is but, going on here? But we gave a huge tip because it was great. I mean, it was such a good meal. It was anyway. Clintonville. It was, yeah, it was interesting. All right. Um, Jalen Ramsey, Judd, you decided you were going all in, so I thought I will jump on this bandwagon with you, and I wrote it for scorenorth.com, the case for going after Jalen Ramsey for the Vikings. I think it starts with Xavier Rhodes' struggles, and if you have a player with that type of value on a defense that is freakishly talented to begin with, you're talking about potentially being the number one defense in the NFL again, and I think from looking at this offensive line and the way things are structured now on offense, that that's what you need to be in order to be a legit contender. So I said back in the uh, in the spring, I said let a defensive player like Bar go to sign a guard or center, right? 
and they didn't do that. So now I'm saying this. If you didn't do that, double down on defense. You're good on defense. I don't think you're great. I think you're good. I think you're really good. But but Jalen Ramsey, and especially if the trade involves draft picks and roads, Jalen Ramsey's presence, I think, potentially makes you great. Harrison Smith, Jalen Ramsey, Trey Waynes, who I like. I think Trey Waynes. I, I think Trey Waynes gets far too much heat. I think your defense, if you get arguably the best cornerback in the league, Matthew, becomes great then. And I really believe that with your current offense and quarterback, the only way, and it's still a long shot, but the only way that you have a chance to win that Super Bowl now is to have a great defense. Yep. I 100% agree that if you want to be a Super Bowl contender and not like what you said the other day, start setting your sights on just making the playoffs alone. If you have the number one defense in the NFL, you are always going to be in that mix. And when you go through who they're going to have to play, uh, it ain't easy. Um, so, I mean, two of the next three weeks, you can easily win against Derek Carr and against Daniel Jones and against Mitch Trubisky. Really, three three weeks where your defense is going to look great. Guarantee they come out of this saying, oh, our defense is great. Second half of the season, though, Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, the tough quarterbacks are coming. And when you get to Patrick Mahomes and when you get to that Dallas offense that's just flying all over the place and when you get to playing Russell Wilson again and and Rivers and Rodgers at the end of the year, I mean, you're going to have to be better than just good probably in Mm -hmm. order to beat those quarterbacks because those are a lot of tough environments too. It's at Seattle. It's at Los Angeles. It's at KC. It's at Dallas. You better play great on defense because those are some good defenses, too. I mean, Seattle's a strong defense, and we know you're going to have to play at Chicago again. That's really tough. I mean, whew, I, I think you are in a really, really challenging spot here if your cornerbacks are just okay. And you mentioned Waynes. I think Waynes is just okay. I think he's like, let's say there are 70 cornerbacks in the league that play regularly, and he's like the 37th okay. or something. But if you have Ramsey, okay. Waynes, yeah. Harrison Smith... Oh, then you're then you're amazing, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, then you're what and, you and were if a few the trade is yeah. so so. What in your mind is the trade? Xavier goes to Jacksonville, first round pick. How much more? Now here's another idea that comes from a listener, which would be trading Waynes instead of Rhodes. But here's why: because yep. Mike Hughes is coming back. Hmm. So if you were to have Hughes and Ramsey, now Waynes, you probably can't resign after this year. So if you were going to plan on after this year letting go Rhodes and not uh, re-signing Waynes, then you would have your answer to who your number one shutdown corner is with Jalen Ramsey. The guy is 25. I mean, every team in the league should be calling and oh, saying, the contract is great can too. we get this guy? And I know that he's he's a little bit of a loose cannon, but he's not like a major I, problem. I told you this. I don't like loose cannon offensive players with Mike, but on defense, I have no concerns. Jalen Ramsey and Zimmer would love each other. He just praised the heck out of Vontez Perfect today. I'm not making that up. Like, Mike Zimmer was talking but about how much he liked Vontez Burbank. I am anti-bringing high-maintenance wide receiver onto Mike Zimmer's team. But as far as cornerbacks go, I think he'd love those guys. I think it'd be, abs- it'd be a fine marriage. All right, before we wrap up, I did promise something to be a little concerned about with the Oakland Raiders. And that's that Derek Carr is getting the ball out faster than any other quarterback almost uh, in the NFL. And the Vikings have dominated, and I truly mean annihilated, tackles so far in these first two weeks. The uh, Raiders might actually have an answer for that, which would be getting the ball out quick. I will get you this stat before I wrap up. Before you get played off here? Before I get played off. By Jonathan? The exact number for how quick he's getting it out. 
third in the league, 2.26 seconds. He is getting the ball wow, out. Wow, okay. So they are uh, they are throwing quickly, and that could impact Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter's ability to get home, as they say. All right, we'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks, Two hours of Alex Boone in your face tomorrow here on Purple Daily. Mackie and Joe with Rami coming up next here on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars, and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel, and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.